Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Boise State for the win. They hand it off to Johnson. Boise State has won the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Can you believe it? He's going for the corner. State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Welcome back to another episode of the Fifth Year Podcast. My name is Clint Maxey, the producer here, joined here by Parker Biggs. Thanks for joining me, Parker. I uh, don't know where I'd be without you. Really hey, means a I, lot that you're here. I hope everyone likes that a little. <laughs> I slid in like. Chris Collinsworth there. You sure did. Name. Slide I, in in your, in your Did ears. I do my job there? Yeah, you did. All right. On this episode, I believe this is episode eight. On to week three. Great first couple weeks. Uh, on this one, we'll do week two recap, players of the week, uh, some college football news. We also have our Mitch Sherman interview, who writes for The Athletics. Some really good insight on the OU Nebraska game coming up this week. Uh, fan questions, game picks, and trivia to finish it off. So let's get on to the episode. All right, let's recap week two. Some good games, some big upsets, lots lots to get into. Also, big firing in the college football world. Clay Helton fired at USC after a loss to Stanford. Yeah, uh, I'm a little surprised that it happened this quickly, but not shocked that Clay Helton's out. Uh, he had been on a hot seat for a long, long time. And a 42-28 to 28 loss to Stanford last week at home was the final uh, nail in the coffin for him. The Boo Birds were out at the Coliseum. It was a week after Stanford had gotten dominated by Kansas State. So Stanford went into USC um, and really just beat them down. It was a bad loss for USC. Uh, and Clay Helton is out. He went 46-24 uh, and 24 during his tenure there. Uh, after he took over for Sark on an interim basis before fully taking over that role. Uh, they never won the Pac-12 while he was there. Um, they did have that one Rose Bowl win over Penn State. So he had some success early, but it's been pretty me- mediocre since. Hadn't won more than eight games in a season since that Rose Bowl win. Uh, it's just Clay Helton, from everything I've heard, seems like a great guy, but it, he just wasn't living up to the expectation of what uh, is needed to be met at USC. It's, uh, in my opinion, one of the four best jobs in college football. You should be expected to be competing, if not winning the Pac-12 every season, and competing for a spot in the playoffs. And they haven't they haven't sniffed the playoffs um, since he has – or they haven't sniffed the playoffs at all. Um, and he's been the coach during this playoff era. So, yeah, like I said, I think it's a top-four job uh, – mainly because, well, one, they're in Los Angeles. They have access to one of the biggest talent pools in the country. They're in the Pac-12, and they're the only blue blood in the Pac-12, so it's a conference they should win and win regularly. Oregon's the only team that's in that stratosphere, but they're not USC. They don't have that. They don't pull the same weight as the Trojans. Um, Pete Carroll's really been the only guy to win at a super high level in the last 30, 40 seasons, but, I mean, you can see – when they're clicking, 
I mean, there's no one quite like uh, USC. So, uh, yeah, interested to see uh, what uh, what they do there. So who are some potential candidates? I know Luke Fickle, everyone, that's the first name everyone's talked about. So who are some candidates for yeah. that job? Like you said, Fickle is the kind of the hot name. It makes sense. He's really built and sustained quite the program at Cincinnati. And the, But the main reason people are linking him to USC is uh, his old athletic director, uh, Mike Bone, uh, Bond Bone, not, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but he was the AD at Cincinnati that hired Fickle, and now he's at USC. So he has a lot of familiarity there. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, he's probably the most attractive, young, up-and-coming candidate out there. And if they hired Fickle, I think it would be a really solid uh, hire. But I do wonder if, if it is the best fit. He's not a West Coast guy. He really fits that Big Ten mold, in my opinion. Does he wait till Ohio State opens? Probably not. Ryan Day uh, is also a young guy and will be there for a while. So it's a job that's hard to top. There's not a job besides Ohio State in the Big Ten it's better than USC, but does he want to make that jump out west? It'd be a cult culturally, it might not be the best fit, but just for what he's doing on the field, it makes a lot of sense. He brings he bring physicality and disciplined football team, which is what USC needs. They're been super penalized team, don't shoot a lot of discipline, they lack physicality. So he would uh, check some of those boxes they're looking for. A couple other names um, I like: Chris Peterson, the former Boise State and Washington coach. Uh, the question is, does he have that itch to get back into coaching? Kind of sh surprising when he left Washington a few years ago. He hadn't really slowed down. He was only at Washington, Washington for six years. Had a playoff appearance, two other New Year's Six Bowls. He has familiarity with the West Coast. Uh, I think that would be a good hire. Another guy that's out of coaching right now that's kind of been tossed around is Bob Stoops, former Oklahoma coach. Uh, I don't think he seem it doesn't seem he's in a rush to get back into coaching, but if he were to get back into the coaching in the college game, I think he'd want a program where he could go in and immediately win, which I think is the case at USC. They've got good players. They have access to good players. Um, they're not bottomed out like some other programs uh, in the country. So if there was a job that he'd jump for, USC could be one. I think Ohio State and Notre Dame are – more likely or better fits for him um and he seems to be doing just fine in retirement he's got his tequila uh he's promoting he's doing the big noon saturday with fox so i don't necessarily see that happening yeah i definitely could not see that i yeah. feel like with the new fox thing and he yeah. seems like he's enjoying life yeah he he's living it up so i think that's a long shot but worth the call if you're yeah. at usc uh, another name is James Franklin at Penn State. He's proven that he can go in and turn a program around. He did it at Vanderbilt, which is pretty unreal, and has now done it at Penn State. He's shown he can sustain that success too, so not only can he turn the program around, he can keep it going at a high level, and he's an elite recruiter, which uh, would go a long way in Southern California with those guys uh, that he'd have access to um, recruiting-wise. I think that would be a home run hire. I think he's got the uh, – Kind of that flashiness uh, that could go a long way at USC. Last name here, uh, kind of added it in last minute, Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. Uh, Adam Schefter from ESPN actually tweeted out earlier that he believes uh, 
that he could emerge as a head coaching candidate for USC and that he's told, told folks that uh, it's one of the few college jobs that would interest him. So uh, didn't see that he's been around the NFL for a while now. So that might be a bit of adjustment, but he's from Southern California seems to have a great personality. I think that could be a home run hire. He should already be a, a head coach in the NFL in my opinion. So uh, if they could pull that off, that would be great. I mean, those are, I mean, it's so early here. Who knows who else could come out? Uh, I mean, maybe you could say like uh, Mario Cristobal at Oregon. Uh, I've seen Sataki's name at the BYU coach. I wouldn't be thrilled about that if I was a USC person. Um, but who knows? We're early in the process here. Um, what about Urban Meyer? Yeah, uh, I mean, it could be similar to what Saban did when he was with the Miami Dolphins, wanted to get back into the coaching game and was back at Alabama within two years. But when the NFL season runs till January, uh, I I wouldn't be shocked if he makes the jump back to college, but does he do it this quickly? Especially he's got Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. And, yeah. Did I you see that quote the other day, though? He no. said his heart isn't in it, just doesn't feel, this, doesn't feel the same or something like that. I'm going to see if I can find it, but I did not see yeah. that I mean, after the first game. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to work out for him in the NFL. So I wouldn't – if he's going to coach somewhere else, I think college would make sense. Uh, who knows, though, this early in his tenure if he'd make that jump. Reddit College Football tweeted it. So fairly trustworthy. I wouldn't give it all the trust, but it says, sources Urban Meyer considering resigning as head coach of Jaguars, saying his heart's just not in it. Sheesh. I mean, One game. if anyone would do that, it would be Urban Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. All right, so that's uh, – a. Big, biggest news of this past week, I would say, yeah. even though it happened today, yeah. Tuesday, often, recording this on Tuesday. Not often are, you know, this is one of those jobs that when it opens up, I mean, if yeah. USC calls you, you at least answer. Right. All right, moving on to the week two games. First off, Oregon gets huge win over Ohio State, 35-28. They looked really good, in my opinion, especially without Thibodeau and Flo. Man, they're impressive. Yeah. I was, this one shocked me. I even under the assumption that Thibodeau and Flo were going to play, I thought Ohio State was going to win this one. Me too. I didn't think Oregon had the, the firepower to keep up with Ohio State, but I think I might have overestimated Ohio State's defense a little bit. I mean, they've got gaping holes. Uh, their run defense is not good. Um, pass defense is okay. But, I mean, Ryan Day hasn't really had great defenses in his time with Ohio State and his what is this fourth third fourth season they've had one good defense it was that 2019 team and they were led by chase young and jeffrey okuda so they were loaded with nfl talent uh i think if you're an ohio state person you've got to be concerned with uh just the direction of this defense they're not improving uh they brought in a new dc last season and they were really bad and early on the results aren't good so far they got run all over by uh Minnesota, and that was just a preview of what was going to come from Oregon. C.J. Verdell with a huge game, 161 yards, a couple touchdowns on the ground, 34 yards receiving, another touchdown. And Anthony Brown did exactly what he needed to do. He was effective through the air with a couple touchdowns, 230-plus yards, and then also got it down on the ground too. I mean, who's not getting it done on the ground against Ohio State? So looking forward for the Ducks, I mean, they're now prime position to make a playoff run that, the team to beat in the Pac-12. Uh, they've got their toughest test out of the way. Uh, the problem is the Pac-12 just kind of cannibalizes itself. But now Oregon, 
could afford a loss later in the season and probably have a shot at still making the playoffs. So they're looking good. Ohio State still probably the favorite in the Big Ten, but really huge question marks. We know what they've got offensively. I'm not too worried um, about what they're able to do there. They got it going in the second half against the Ducks, but defensively just huge question marks. So they're going to have to run the table if they want a shot at uh, making the playoffs. Um, and we'll we'll see. They've got to get some things fixed, though. Yeah. Yeah, Anthony Brown looked really good, and I'm looking at the Heisman odds. He is currently plus 5,000, and he looked really good. So if they run the table, win the Pac-12, that would be like really good value, value right yeah. now. Yeah. All right, moving on to the Cyhawk game. Iowa claims the Cyhawk trophy for the sixth straight year, winning 27-17. Brock Purdy throws for three picks. Pretty rough performance. Yeah, I would say just can't can't catch a break against Iowa. College game day was there. First top 10 matchup in this series history. Iowa State looking at potentially their best team ever, and then they just had no offense. They turned the ball over three consecutive possessions in the third quarter. That basically ended it. Iowa didn't need to do a ton offensively because they dominated field position. Their defense is one of the best in the country. And you could make an argument at this point in the season for the best defense in the country. Yeah. Uh, not only were they consistently in Iowa territory because of the turnovers, but uh, they were putting Iowa State in bad spots to start drives um, through special teams. Their punting was really good. They do things that Iowa does. They play good de- good defense, good special teams, and then did what they needed to do offensively. Uh, this basically eliminates the Cyclones from playoff consideration unless they could run the table. Uh, but now they just got to move ahead, get ready for Big 12 play. Under Matt Campbell, they've consistently gotten better throughout the season, so I'm not ready to write off Iowa State yet. Their defense actually played pretty well, uh, but you can't turn the ball over like that. I mean, that's been their issue with Iowa the last few years is Iowa doesn't turn the ball over, Iowa State does, and Iowa State loses the games. Um, for Iowa, though, I mean, they're the favorite in the Big Ten West. There's no doubt about that. Um, now they've opened the season with two top 20 wins. Uh, they've won eight consecutive games dating back to last season. Um, and I think you can make an argument that they're the favorite in the Big Ten now. Um, I'd still probably lean towards Ohio State. But uh, if we end up with an Iowa-Ohio State Big Ten championship and Iowa looks the way they do now, I mean, that would be a great game. That defense is good and I think their run game would cause serious issues for Ohio State so uh, I think this is the most vulnerable uh, Ohio State's been in a while and the best opportunity for someone to come out of the west uh, and win the conference yeah I agree that'd be a good matchup all right moving on to SEC Big 12 game in Fayetteville Arkansas wins 40 to 21 really uh, really dominant performance by Arkansas yeah another one I was surprised by I mean, I just love what Sam Pittman's done, though, at Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, he's – when Chad Morris left, Arkansas was uh, not a physical football team. They got pushed around. Uh, they played poor defense. And within two years, Pittman's completely turned that around. They're a tough physical football team. They ran the ball over all over Texas, 333 rushing yards. Uh, five guys had over 40 yards. And then defensively, they pushed Texas around two, uh, six or three sacks, and just caused real issues for Hudson Card. 
he couldn't do anything, which last week I said that was going to be the key. They had to make him uncomfortable, and they did. Uh, their defense was running all over the place. Their crowd was nuts. Uh, Card was only through for 61 yards before getting replaced by K- Casey Thompson, who came in and actually played decently, uh, pretty effectively through the air, pretty effective through the air, and uh, added a couple of rushing scores. Uh, and after that, uh, Texas has already named uh, Casey Thompson their starter for this week. So, uh, Trouble in Austin. Trouble in Austin. You don't want a QB controversy this no. early in the season. After last season, I mean, we were close to saying Texas is back. I mean, I had to hold hold off from doing that, but uh, clearly they are not. Uh, they did go into a buzzsaw, though. I I'm obviously have concerns with Texas and their physicality and their quarterback situation, but that was just – I mean, that was the biggest game Arkansas has had in a long time. That crowd was fired up. Uh, and really, my last point on this one is, why the hell did Arkansas storm the field? <laughs> Texas is number 15 in the country. And they're Texas. They haven't been – they've what, won one 10-win season in the last decade. Yeah. What do big, you think? Big time for Arkansas. Do you mean, I mean but you stormed the field? And pull down the goalposts. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. But yeah, That's not Arkansas. Time. That's a little not different. All right, next two games kind of go hand-in-hand, hand, but Notre Dame barely beats Toledo, and Florida State loses to Jacksonville State, so might not be as good of a matchup, or good as we thought. That was an awesome game last week and Sunday night. but Yeah, that Notre Dame-Florida State game was good, but now we're looking at eh, maybe it was just a couple average teams in a good game. Notre Dame snuck by Toledo. Their running game struggled again, which is really concerning. It's not the lack of talent at running back. I think they just, for the first time in a while, have some question marks in the offensive line. They couldn't get the run game going. Offensive line allowed six sacks. They're onto the third string left tackle. I mean, they only ran for 132 yards, which was exactly the same amount Toledo ran for. And then could there be potentially a QB controversy here? I would tend to think not. They benched Jack Cohn for a little bit there for freshman Tyler Buechner. Uh, I think that was more because of just Cone was running for his life there, and they needed someone in there with a little bit more mobility, which Cone doesn't have. He's kind of a statue. So they went with Butner, but he looked really good when he came in. Was three for three, seventy-eight yards and a touchdown, plus another sixty-eight yards on the ground and very limited action. But then Cone did come in and lead Notre Dame on that game-winning uh, touchdown drive. So for Notre Dame, uh. They've got to get their offensive line figured out. They've got some question marks defensively. I still like their quarterback situation. Um, but, yeah, I'm not uh, not as high on the Irish as I was a week ago. And then Florida State. One, let me stop you before. Uh, so if Notre Dame – I don't – I'm not – I mean, they're still undefeated, so it's not saying anything. But any chance Brian Kelly leaves for USC, gets a call from USC or anything? or He might get a call. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I can never see him leaving, I mean, but it would I think be interesting. I think they're – maybe not this season, but in general, I think Kelly's program at Notre Dame is an upward directory. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I but, I mean, he's a guy you probably call for USC. Yeah. Um, And then Florida State, though, just a horrible loss to Jacksonville State, FCS program. If you haven't seen it, you've got to Google – Google it. They literally lost on like a what, like a seven, 60, 70 yard touchdown pass yeah. at the end of the game. A week after Jacksonville State lost thirty one zero to UAB. So uh, FSU yikes! It's now like a six point underdog against Wake Forest this week. So 
Did you see the guy propose after the game too? The Florida State guy. Yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a reasoning for it. I'm sure his family was yeah, there. And I know, but I mean, just do it like that night or the I next know. day. You can't get down on a knee after losing yeah. to Jacksonville State. I know. He'd so. probably have that plan for two years, and they circle the game Jacksonville State. This would be a no, must be a win. win. Family yeah. comes down. The one yeah. guaranteed win we've got on the schedule. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's brutal. All right, moving on. Washington gets absolutely embarrassed by Michigan. Michigan won, wins 31-10. Yeah, uh, I picked Washington in this one. I think I was looked at that Montana game as a bit of a fluke, and I might have been wrong. I think Washington's offense is just horrible. They've scored 17 points all season. Uh, and Michigan really wasn't that explosive offensively, but they didn't need to be. Uh, they just couldn't trolled the ball, ran the ball all over Washington. Uh, Blake Corum and Hassan uh, Haskins com- or Haskins 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 uh, combined for 343 yards it. on the ground. Um, but they didn't need to do much through the air. I, I just I'm concerned about the Jimmy Lake era at Washington. They're gonna they've got a young uh, five star quarterback that they might need to give a shot to because. What they're doing right now isn't working. Just trying the same thing over and over is not going to get it done. That all you got on that one? Yeah. Okay. All right, moving on. BYU wins the Holy War 26-17, beating 21st-ranked Utah. Yeah, this was uh, definitely Sataki's biggest win he's had. This is the biggest win he's had. Uh, They had an awesome season with Zach Wilson last year, uh, but they didn't play Utah, and – to get this one, I mean, this is just an enormous win. Utah has dominated the series. Uh, BYU is about to make this transition into the Big Twelve, so they're competing against the same a lot of the, for this, a lot of the same players. Utah is, um, and it had gotten one sided over the last twelve years. So, this is a, a an enormous win for that program uh, to show that Sataki can get it done without Zach Wilson. Uh, they've got another big game this week against another Pac-12 program, uh, Arizona State, which will be a top 25 game. If they can win that one, uh, BYU might be looking at another really big season like they had last year. All right, some concerns for Texas A&M. Barely squeaked by Colorado. Also, Haynes King gets hurt. What do you think about A&M's situation? Yeah, well, one, their defense is really good. I yeah. do believe that they – only allowed 54 yards in the second half and 89 passing yards total. Uh, they forced six straight punts at one point in the game. So that's, I'll get that out of the way. Their defense is really good. But their offense is very questionable. Even last week with Haynes King, they had three, he threw three interceptions. They struggled early to, to get on the scoreboard. And then this week, they just, I mean, they didn't score a touchdown for the first 57 minutes. They scored three minutes left to take the lead, win 10-7. Uh, I thought their run game would be better. They've got guys back there that should be able to run the ball. They've got good offensive line. Uh, but either their quarterback play is skeptical, Haynes King, like I said, and then Calzana took over an injury, and he was really, really bad. Uh, so I think Texas A&M might be a little bit overrated at this point. I mean, don't see them. They've got the Alabama game coming up in a few weeks and College Station, what they've, which they've been looking forward to for a while. I mean, I just can't see that game ending pretty. I think they're pretty run-of-the-mill, above-average team in the SEC West. I don't look at them as a playoff contender. 
unless they can figure out that quarterback situation. Whether it, I mean, they need Hans King, King back. He's the guy at quarterback for them, but they're going to need uh, improved play from him or Calzana in the time being um, for the Aggies. All right, that concludes our week two recap. On to the part or uh, the players of the week, Parker. Yeah, I got four guys here that really stood out. Uh, Chris Rodriguez at Kentucky. He had 206 yards, a couple touchdowns, and that win over Missouri. Big win for Kentucky. Start off their SEC play uh, against a team that they're pretty evenly matched against. Kentucky's got a physical offensive line. Uh, and now they actually have a quarterback that seems that could make plays through the air, which they really haven't had the last few years. So that's opened up, really opens up the run game. Big holes for Rodriguez. I think he's going to have a a big, big season, and he showed off this week against Missouri. Another SEC guy, Stetson Bennett, Georgia. He play, yeah, he started for the Bulldogs this week against UAB with JT Daniels out. Oh, and what a start! What a start it was. He started off five for five, two forty-five, and four touchdowns. Insane. That's insane. Yeah. That's ridiculous. He finished the game ten for twelve with five touchdowns, two hundred two hundred eighty-eight yards. But really, the main reason I'm including him is because afterwards, after he threw his fifth touchdown, he put a fat lip in on the sideline. <laughs> I didn't see that. Which was awesome. Is so, that mid-game? Or after uh, game? I don't know if he'd been pulled. I saw it on Twitter. so I, It was during the game. I don't know if he was if he went back in afterwards, but I'm all aboard that. Give that takes some, some swagger. Former <laughs> walk-on, too. So, oh, yeah. Uh, cool he for, deserved that. Yeah. Um, someone we've already talked about, C.J. Verdell at Oregon. Ran all over Ohio State. It was really the key for that offense to to get going and get going early, set the tone, uh, and get out ahead of Ohio State. So um, huge game for him. And then my last guy, another ridiculous stat line here, uh, Calvin Austin the third at Memphis. They had a uh, really electric game against Arkansas State that they won 55-50. But uh, Austin had... Six catches, 239 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, if you don't have time to do that math in your head, that is uh, 39.8 yards per catch. He had <laughs> he had a catch for 55 yards, a catch for 37 yards, and then his final catch was a 75-yard touchdown. So huge performance for Calvin Austin, uh, the third at Memphis. And Pretty then, uh, Clint, you've, I think you've got one here. Yeah, just – I don't know if he gets into that players of the week, but shout out to Anthony Richardson, who's the Florida backup. Who I don't know how long it'll be the Florida backup because he's doing really well every time he comes in. Uh, but he went three for three, 152 yards and two touchdowns. Also four rushes, 115 yards and a touchdown. So that's a crazy stat line as well. And maybe uh, this week we'll see a little, little bit more of him in the Alabama-Florida game. So that wraps up our players of the week. On to some other college football news. LSU running back John Emery Jr. out for the season. Tough blow for the Tigers. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go yeah. through them. Uh, Skyler Thompson out indefinitely for K State. I didn't see that. What was that? Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm not certain on the injury, but that's a really tough blow for for K State and Thompson. He's had injury issues throughout his career, and last season, uh, once he went out, they their offense really really dropped I do off. Remember that? Yeah. So uh, they've got a tough matchup against Nevada this week. Uh, we'll have a good idea of what their quarterback situation looks like after that, though. And then last one, Boston College quarterback Phil Jerkovich, likely out for season with right hand injury. So not too much on the college football news. But uh, on to our interview with Mitch Sherman. 
we're super excited uh, with the 50th anniversary of the Oklahoma-Nebraska game this weekend uh, to welcome Mitch Sherman. Mitch is a staff writer with The Athletic uh, covering Nebraska football. Uh, he's previously been with ESPN.com after spending 13 years at the Omaha World Herald. So uh, Mitch is about as plugged in with the Nebraska football program as anyone. So Mitch, just what's the vibe right now in Lincoln heading into this uh, 50th anniversary of the game of the century. People have been looking forward to it uh, for a long time, but obviously Nebraska is not where they want to be. So what is the the vibe in Lincoln uh, as we get ready for this game? Yeah, good to be with you, Parker. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, the vibe, I think, is there's excitement, um, especially from the Nebraska fans of a certain age who – remember uh and were around to see nebraska oklahoma and it's uh in its great times um there's uh i think a level of of um trepidation some some concern about how nebraska is is going to match up with the sooners this week um people i i, I believe would feel better if nebraska had had started three and oh instead of two and one, uh, there was a lot this off season put into the importance of, of getting off to a three and O start. And, and presumably as, as everyone looked at that schedule for the first three weeks, you know, opened week zero was supposed to be in Ireland against Illinois, that game because of the pandemic got moved back to the United States, uh, to Champaign, Illinois, more specifically, and Nebraska played poorly. Uh, that was kind of the greatest fear that Huskers in a, in a conference game would come out and play poorly at the beginning. And it's exactly what happened. So instead of being 3-0 and and with a little bit of breathing room where perhaps you could afford a, a, a setback this week, Nebraska sitting at 2-1. and And, you know, you figure if the Huskers are 2-2, two and two, which is expected after the trip to Norman, on Saturday, then, then you've got an uphill battle to to really improve on what Scott Frost has done in his first three years. I mean, the, the, it's extremely important for Nebraska to get back to the postseason. And amazingly, it's been five years since that's happened in Lincoln, um, going to Michigan State and then next week and then and then the road ahead um, is is um, is daunting when uh when you consider what's on tap this week for the huskers at oklahoma yeah so it's obviously been a hectic off season uh, like you mentioned in lincoln what's what kind of uh what's scott frost's uh approach been obviously there's the uh the NCAA, potential ncaa violations uh his seat is probably hotter than most would imagine at this point into his tenure it's not obviously I can't imagine Nebraska folks are expecting him to win this game but would it be another I mean if they if the Huskers don't uh, make this game somewhat competitive uh, is his seat just getting hotter and hotter with everything that's going on uh, on the field and then now off the field too yeah, I think there's an expectation that Nebraska needs to look like a decent football team this weekend. And, you know, some would say there are no moral victories year in year four. I, I would tend to agree with that. There's not a whole lot good that can come out of this for Nebraska unless it pulls a huge upset. So 
Um, certainly Nebraska could feel better about itself if it's, if it plays competitively against Oklahoma in a loss. Um, I think that could give Nebraska some confidence going into the, the rest of the Big Ten season. But, um, yeah, I, Parker, I, I think you're right. The seat is, is hotter for Scott Frost right now than really could, could have been imagined when he started at Nebraska in 2018. This was, and, and you know, it still is, this, this, this was set, this is set to be um, a, long, a long-term deal. Nebraska in the past two decades has been through uh, a coaching tenure that lasted four years another coaching tenure that lasted three years. That was the most recent one before Frost with Mike Riley. Um, and and that, that, that kind of turnover, uh, because of the way it impacts recruiting, because of the way it impacts your roster, because of the way it impacts um, the players on your team who have to make major adjustments, be it in the assistant coaches that they're working with, uh, the style of leadership, um, the, the, the offensive or defensive system, that's in place, but they have huge, huge negative consequences when, when you, when you make a coaching change, you know, it's more than just um, the damage that's done in that one recruiting cycle. Uh, It's, you know, it's, it's something that can last over two to three years before you recover. And Nebraska has seen that well. So this was, this was Nebraska set out under no, under no circumstances to have another, uh, road like that with Scott Frost. He was given a seven-year contract uh, early in, in year two, was given a two-year extension. So he's, he signed through 2026, which is a ways off. Uh, but with all of the struggles that Nebraska has had, uh, three consecutive losing seasons under Frost, um, a lack of, of notable progress at all on the offensive side, which is, is, is his specialty. And then, as you mentioned, that NCAA investigation that came to light in August, not a major situation as far as the potential violations, but um, look, if you're, if you're bending the rules or breaking the rules and you're winning, that's, I I think, much more understandable. Uh, But if you're doing it, and you're still losing it's uh you know there's not a lot of patience for that uh, at nebraska or anywhere else so in some ways that changed the discussion or it changed the uh the level of patience uh we'll see we'll see where these next couple of months go but um i would say that nothing is is off the table at this point which is just crazy as i said to imagine here uh just a couple of games into year four what would you say what's the I mean, obviously getting into a bowl game, would you think that's enough for uh, Frost to to survive this season? Or is the expectation seven, eight wins? I mean, nine, ten is probably off the table. But Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the expectation was to be up in the seven to eight range, but that, that un- unquestionably included a win against Illinois. Um, I could see Illinois finishing the year with two wins, um, and maybe one, to be honest. <laughs> And that, 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 that one would, would be Nebraska. Uh, so if you're Nebraska and you're going to get seven, you better find a way to win that, that week zero game. And that didn't happen. So right now I think it's just, it's just scrape and scratch and try to get to bowl eligibility. And uh, that may be enough. That may be enough. Uh, you know, Trev Alberts, the new athletic director at Nebraska, uh, he came in in, in July 
he doesn't not he does not want to make a change. You know, a lot of times an athletic director comes in. We've seen it at Nebraska, and you know, that's kind of what they're tasked to do. Okay, come in, fix the football program. So really, uh, it's a foregone conclusion when that when that guy takes the job that 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 man or woman takes the job that there's going to be a change uh, in in a short period of time at, at the head coaching position. That that's not what what Alberts was brought to to Nebraska to do. Uh, you know, he is a is a former player under Tom Osborne. Frost is a former player under Tom Osborne. These guys have some, uh, some common history, some common ground. They didn't play together, but, um, you know, clearly they are, are cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. And Trev wants to make this work. No doubt about it. He wants to make it work with Scott Frost. Um, so they get to six and six. I, you know, I think it depends on, on how it looks. Um, if Nebraska loses by 10 points, at OU um, and finds a way to win four more games. And, uh, you know, you can probably chalk up a loss to Ohio State. Um, Wisconsin, Iowa are on the schedule. Michigan is on the schedule. If, if those games are, are not an embarrassment for Nebraska, then, you know, six and six can look okay. But if we see some of the outcomes in the way that they've played out against top 10 teams or top 15 teams, in recent seasons and Nebraska appears to not even belong on the same field, then I think a six and six record would, would feel and look different. So um, it's not just the, the, the number of wins that Nebraska ends up with at the end of November. It's more the way those wins are accumulated and, and also what the losses look like. Right. Right. All right, Mitch, this is Clint speaking. We're uh, switching it up on you here. So let's jump into the game itself. Uh, what are the keys for Nebraska and how can they stay close in this one? Yeah, you know, there's big questions about Nebraska on the offensive side. And in, you know, if you're playing Oklahoma, you're going to have to score some points. Um, Nebraska has been strong on, on defense. And you know, I think, I think uh, all things considered, um, if you, if you are, are at the end of the year, um, to look at the Nebraska defense and consider the competition that it faces. It's reasonable right now for me to expect it's going to be a top 25 defense. They're experienced at every level. Um, they've, they've, uh, they're, they're very functional in the progress that, that the defense has showed under coordinator Eric Chenander. Um, improvement, um, players developing in the scheme, um, haven't had to rely on a ton of transfers. Uh, older players, there are uh, four, four six-year seniors in the starting lineup. Secondary um, is strong. Uh, the linebackers are, are much appear much improved this year again for the second consecutive year. The, the defensive line is big and physical and, and fits the Big Ten style. Um, all of that said, Oklahoma is going to score points. We, we know that uh, from watching the Sooners' history under Lincoln Riley. Um, so Nebraska is going to have to find a way to score some points too if it wants to be competitive and and. Uh, it remains to be seen how that's going to happen. Nebraska's running game has been totally reliant so far this year uh, on Adrian Martinez, the quarterback, and, and that was a huge goal in the offseason to get, to get away from. He's been hurt uh, every year in, in, his, in his time at Nebraska. Uh, Fourth-year starter, and he's missed games uh, because of injury or last year because he got benched um, each, each season. So, uh, you, you know, you want to be able to find um, consistent – running backs and a, uh, a physical group of offensive linemen who can open holes and, and take some of that pressure off Martinez to have to do it all himself. And, 
Nebraska's better at running back this year than, than, than a year ago. Um, even sending Diedrich Mills onto the NFL, um, it's better, it's deeper, but they, they don't have that explosive element and they haven't really clicked as a running game uh, with, with the backs. Martinez has had two seventy yard plus runs. Um, he looks faster, more decisive uh, than really at any point in his career. So he's a bright spot. Absolutely. For, for the Huskers on offense, but Again, when you go against the defense with athletes like what Oklahoma has and like what Nebraska is going to see in the Big Ten with, with strong, physical, disciplined play, one guy uh, for Nebraska on offense is not going to get it, get it done against those teams. They need, the Huskers need a, a variety of weapons to show up and be ready to make plays, and that's not something that they've shown yet to be able to do. The receiving core is, is improved. Um, but there are injuries already that run deep at that receiving core and at tight end. So that's that's a huge thing to watch uh, when the Huskers come out for warmups on Saturday morning is, is who's out there among the receivers and the tight ends and ready to play. And if it's like it was last Saturday against Buffalo when five of the top pass catchers were, were out after uh, the second quarter, then Nebraska is going to have big problems, I think, moving the ball because Martinez – just can't do it all himself against athletes like Oklahoma has on defense. How's the, uh, the offensive line uh, looked the last couple of weeks when I watched him against Illinois, I saw Martinez running for his life and couldn't help mm-hmm. but think what Perry on Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, Nick Benito, those Oklahoma defenders could do. Have they shown improvement in these, these last couple of games? In the pass protection area. Yes. But I think some of that has to do with the level of competition that Nebraska's played with, with, an FCS opponent in Fordham and then, and then Buffalo, which was a good team last year, um, but uh, has gone through a coaching change and, and was untested this year with just, with just one game against a, a bad team. So it's hard to know exactly where Buffalo's at with its defense. I don't think it's going to prove to be uh, a great team this year. So pass protection ha- has been better the last couple of weeks uh, from the offensive line, um, but the run, the run blocking, um, not so much. Um, and it's, it's puzzling because this is a more experienced group for Nebraska up front. When, when Frost got to Lincoln, uh, Nebraska on the offensive line did not visually stack up against its division foes. If you looked at Nebraska's offensive line standing next to Wisconsin or next to Iowa or even Minnesota, uh, the Huskers were small. Um, they weren't strong and physical enough, and now they are. They've got big guys. They've got um, some athleticism, especially with the center, Cam Jurgens, um, especially with the, with the left tackle, Turner Corcoran, who's a borderline five-star kid out of, out of Lawrence, Kansas, who was recruited by Oklahoma. The right tackle is a four-star player out of Minnesota. So they have talent, um, absolutely, up front on that line, but they haven't put it together yet in these three games especially in opening holes for the running backs. So it's a little bit of a mystery. Um, I think that there's some competition that's going on in practice this week in Lincoln. Nebraska is blessed to have some depth on the offensive line this year that it hasn't had in the, in the past few seasons. So, um, you know, maybe there, there's a couple of jobs up for grabs, and I don't think that would be the absolute worst thing in the world, but they're going to have to play better, much better, uh, at the line of scrimmage on offense to, uh, to keep the Sooners out of the backfield. Right. And then one thing that stood out to me from Nebraska, Nebraska's game last week, and you pointed it out in your uh, post-game column, was 
just some of the sloppiness out of the Cornhuskers. What didn't they have three touchdowns that ended up being negated uh, due to penalties? So has that been a under Frost? Has that been an issue with the sloppy plays and penalties, or was last week kind of a, a one-off type deal? Well, I don't think they've had a game with three penalties called back for, for uh, I'm sorry, three touchdowns called back uh, uh, for penalties at any point in the Frost era or any other time in, in the 100-plus years of Nebraska football history. That was a first. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in saying. But, yeah, the sloppiness on, on offense in particular and special teams is, uh, unfortunately for Scott Frost, a, a, a staple in in the 35 games that he's coached every game this year uh nebraska has has lost the ball on a punt return it was a safety in the first game uh on a punt fielded at the one yard line um so not technically a turnover but it was and then and then uh, a fumbled punt or a muffed punt against fordham and and again uh, a ball that bounced off the leg of a of a blocker in a in a in a a messed up uh, punt return situation against Buffalo. So, you know, obviously Nebraska can't afford to have one of those things happen against Oklahoma. It has to play um, as close to mistake-free football as it can uh, in special teams and on the offensive side. Those are the two bigger, biggest concerns um, to, to, to be able to have a chance to be competitive. But yeah, penalties at inopportune times are, are a problem, have been a, a consistent problem for Nebraska. Special teams play not just with those, those botched punt returns, but um, in the kicking area, you know, the punting was bad against Illinois. That's improved. The place kicking uh, was good a year ago. Nebraska has a returning first team, all big 10 kicker. He missed three field goals in the game against Buffalo. Um, the kickoffs were, were poor last year. That that's improved. The kickoff returns have been bad really since, since day one under frost so it's it's like they can't get everything going at once on special teams whenever uh, one area improves it seems another area um, crops up as a as a problem spot and they've got to find a way not just on saturday but um, you know going to east lansing a week after that playing northwestern in michigan and lincoln the two weeks after that these are teams that that will not uh will (laughs) will not treat nebraska kindly if their special teams, if the Husker special teams continues to be a mess. So that has to improve immediately. And, and, and it goes without saying that, that they, they can't, uh, they can't afford to, to take points off the board because of, of penalties on the offensive side. I will say that, that two of those three penalties that took touchdowns away were, were questionable. Uh, one was a pick play from a receiver where it, it was just really, really hard to see that that happened on a fourth down pass that was an easy walk-in touchdown. I think that should have stood, but, you know, couldn't be reversed, obviously. It was a judgment call. And then um, there was a, uh, an illegal forward pass on a, on a lateral just past the line of scrimmage at the end of the game that, again, was, uh, I would say, was pretty questionable. Also, that went for a touchdown and was taken off the board. The third was a holding call that was legit, so... Um, you know, if you if you come out of a game with one touchdown negated by penalty, it's a lot different conversation than three. Right. <laughs> and I've got to say, I've never heard it's one thing to have three touchdowns uh, negated during uh, due to penalties, which in itself is crazy. But the fact they didn't end up scoring on any of those drives. Right. 
Correct. Yeah. One of them was a missed field goal and the other two, um, I believe were punts. Wow. Wow. That's, that is, uh, crazy. But, uh, before get before wrapping up with your, your pick, uh, one thing we're doing in this episode is just kind of diving into the, the greatness of this rivalry. And you've all, obviously been around, um, a while. If, is there a, a favorite memory from an, an Oklahoma Nebraska game that you have? Well, I was a I was a child of the of the '80s and grew up in Omaha, so I definitely watched those games. And the rivalry went back and forth in those years, early in the '80s, when I'm, I wasn't quite old enough to to really be into it. It was uh, tilted in favor of Nebraska. Late in the '80s, it was tilted in favor of of OU. Uh, the '90s were pretty much all Nebraska, and and you know Oklahoma went downhill under. Howard Schnellenberger and John Blake. So those are not memorable games. I was in college um, at that time at Nebraska. Um, so I would say that the 2001 game, you know, I know it's not as, as far back and as, as, as deep, uh, deeply embedded into the history and tradition of this program as say 1971 before um, I was born or, or 78 um, was an amazing game. And, and we've been writing about those um, here this week at the athletic and, and going back and looking at iconic plays um, in the series, uh, myself and, and, and Jason Kersey, the, the OU writer. So that's been really fun to, uh, to go and learn more about some of those games that um, in, in the seventies that, that I didn't know as much about um, or hadn't, or, or, or certainly had not written about. Um, but yeah, the, the, the game 20 years ago, the 2001 game that was number one versus number two, it was the 30 year anniversary of the game of the century as opposed to the 50 year anniversary that we're looking at this year. And, you know, it was a, it was um, obviously a packed house in Lincoln. Um, OU was coming off a national championship. Nebraska was, was very, very closely associated still with, with three national championships in the nineties um, had a Heisman. There was a Heisman trophy winning quarterback on the field for both teams. Um, Jason White was still two years away with the Sooners, but he was the starter that day. And, and Eric Crouch won the Heisman that year in 01. And, and then, loomed large in the outcome of the game um, with the, uh, the trick play, the reverse pass um, from a freshman, Mike Stunts, uh, in the fourth quarter that, that iced that thing for Nebraska. A, a lot of people in Memorial Stadium in Lincoln that day, and I, I would say I'm, I'm probably in that, in that category, um, describe that moment as the loudest that that, that Memorial Stadium has ever been. Um, so that was, that was a, a definitely a, a, a memory that, that, uh, I will not forget, uh, anytime soon. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And for those that aren't already subscribed to the athletic, I highly, highly recommend it. They're, they've both Mitch and Jason Kersey, the Oklahoma writer have both been putting out great content a week ahead of this game. So just to close, to close here, Mitch, what, what is your, I don't, you might be making a, a prediction elsewhere, so I'm not necessarily asking you for a score, but what, what's your, uh, I guess, prediction or what do you anticipate happening on Saturday? Is there any chance Nebraska could, could hang around and possibly shock the world with an upset? Well, there's always a chance. I mean, you know, we've seen Oklahoma struggle with lesser opponents, um, you know, several times, uh, especially in September. Um, you saw it two weeks ago against Tulane. I don't know that Tulane is, um, is better than Nebraska. Um, maybe maybe Tulane does some things, but some specific things better. But uh, you know, as far as overall talent, 
Um, I, I would think I'd give the edge to Nebraska there. Um, but I, that said, I don't, I don't, it's not going to be a game like that, or at least I don't, I don't expect it to be a game like that. Um, Nebraska just hasn't proven yet um, that it's, that it's capable of, um, of standing up to adverse situations. And the way I expect this game to go is, may, is maybe for Nebraska to, uh, um, you, you know, put up, put up a fight, um, throw a couple punches in the first quarter, the first half. Um, but generally with, with this program in recent years, um, and, and I think it'll be this way on Saturday, when, when you know, something goes awry, um, the, the Huskers have a, a really difficult time recovering. So I, I think at some point that happens, and it probably happens fairly early in the game. And at that point, you know, it, it, it probably gets gets out of hand or, or close to out of hand. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to give you a score. I, I would say something like um, 45 to, to 21, I think, is is uh, is reasonable to expect. Um, I, Oklahoma's just got too much firepower. And while Nebraska's defense, you know, I think we'll get some stops and we'll probably look good at, at some moments. Um, they're going to make mistakes and Nebraska is going to make mistakes on offense and probably on special teams that it can't afford. So um, those are those things. They won't work. They won't work in Norman. And, you know, I think Oklahoma is, is um, you know, is probably better than it was two weeks ago and wants to make a statement in this game. There'll be a lot of people watching, a lot of people who, who uh, you know, remember the the, uh, the great games from the history of this series and, and an opportunity for Oklahoma for sure to, um, you know, show what kind of a team it has to uh, to people on the on the national level. And I think the Sooners will do that and, and win comfortably. Yeah, well, that's really, really great insight uh, looking at it from the, the Nebraska point of view. And I uh, agree with you on the uh, uh, how the game is going to end up. And what a, uh, what a special treat we have this weekend with the 50th anniversary of this game, uh, a great rivalry, and I'm excited to, to have it back. And Mitch, once again, thank you so, so much for for joining us, giving your insights. Uh, Mitch is one of the best, one of the best college football journalists out there. So for him to join us, uh, it really means a lot. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And looking forward to, to see what happens on the field on Saturday. Yeah. Good to be with you, Parker. Um, happy to do it. And uh, good luck with the, with the podcast. That was our interview with Mitch Sherman. Thanks again, Mitch, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And we're really looking forward to the game this weekend on to week through week, week wow tongue twister week three preview cincinnati favored by three and a half against indiana it's at indiana it's first real test for cincinnati this year yeah um, definitely first test for cincinnati uh coming off a couple of uh uh pretty easy games played murray state this week and kind of struggled early but got it going offense has been efficient uh, they're averaging 467 yards per game. Desmond Ritter's done what has been expected for him. Uh, seven touchdowns to only one interception on the season. And then Jerome Ford, uh, their star running back, is averaging almost eight yards a carry with back-to-back 100-yard games. So they've done what they need to do. And their defense is as good as advertised, which is a concern for Indiana. Michael Penix has struggled he had that three interception game to start the season against Iowa. And then they played uh, Idaho this last week and won, and they won big. But Penix still didn't look the part, only going 11 for 16, 68 yards. So I like, I really like Cincinnati to win this one and to cover. Uh, Penix has struggled early just watching the tape to read the defenses and make the right throws. 
And I think Cincinnati probably has the best group of defensive backs that he'll see all season. So I think they're going to make it a long day. And I like uh, Cincinnati here to uh, cover the three and a half points. I hadn't really thought of this till just now, but I wonder how much the how much distraction the fickle USC stuff has not only this week but rest of the year. Yeah, that that will be interesting uh, to see. Uh, I would assume it won't at least early on, but say down the road if they end up interviewing him or something, then it could come could come into play. But yeah, yeah. that is something to think about for sure. All right, moving on. Michigan State at Miami. Uh, test for Miami to stay in the top twenty-five after starting at number fourteen. I would or they definitely would drop out if they lose this one. What do you think about that one? Yeah, this is one of the more underrated games of the weekend. I'm looking forward to this one. Michigan State's looked really good so far. Um, that week one win against uh, against Northwestern. We talked about last week. Kenneth Walker had that huge, huge game, two hundred sixty-four yards. They had another uh, another big time uh, r- uh, rushing performance this last week. Rushed for two hundred thirty-two yards as a team, and then. Uh, they showed that they've got two really good backs because you had Walker, you've got Walker, and then you have Jordan Simmons who rushed for 121 this year. So they're ground and pound team, physical football team. But Peyton Thorne has been good through the air, and he's done a much better job at protecting the football uh, than he he did last season. And he's also got a big time uh, or a big play receiver in Jaden uh, Jaden Reed, who's averaging over 27 yards per catch uh, early in the season. So you've got good weapons on offense, and then um, any sort of Mel Tucker team is going to be a tough physical football team. I think they're going to make it difficult for Derek King. He's got to get it done on the ground. I believe he's their – I think he's their second-leading rusher, but they're going to – he's going to get hit. uh, So it's going to be key for Miami to uh, get big plays through King. Their offense has been a little underwhelming so far. Obviously, that game against – Alabama and they played App State last week and beat App State uh, by a field goal I believe but it was a good game and App State's a a good team so um, I'm not looking at that one as a negative but their lack of explosive plays and big plays from the offense is a little bit concerning Uh, the strength of Miami's defense is that that front uh, uh, that defensive line which is very disruptive but I like Michigan State to win this one Outside of King, like I said, that disruptive defensive front is the strength of for Miami. But I don't know if they'll be able to be as disruptive against a team that's able to run the ball like Michigan State is. Uh, they might not be able to pin their ears back and go after the quarterback like they might be able to against other teams. So I like Michigan State here uh, to win this one in an upset. I think they're a touchdown underdog, so this would be an upset. I like Michigan State, though. I've really liked what I've seen so far this year. All right, moving on to Alabama, Florida. I don't know. Is this game day? Have they announced it yet? No, We're recording this on Tuesday. Game day is Penn State, uh, Auburn. Okay. Well, yeah, Alabama, Florida will be a really good one. Bama currently favored by 15 and a half. Last time I checked, it's at Florida. Any chance Gators take it? Uh, No, I don't think so. I rematch last year's SEC championship. Obviously, new quarterbacks for, for Florida. I think the question mark. I don't well. I don't think it's good to be having a potential quarterback controversy yeah. going into a game against Alabama. Definitely. So I like Alabama to win this one and win it big. I like Alabama to cover. Uh, but Emory Jones has started the first two games and he's already thrown four interceptions. And the guy Clint talked about earlier, Anthony Richardson, has looked insane when he's gone in. Yeah. Uh, in both both games, Florida's played this season. Um, but I even if. I mean, Richardson needs to be Tim Tebow if they want to be Alabama here. Yeah. 
uh, I think Alabama wins this one and, and covers. All right, moving on. Auburn at Penn State. Penn State currently favored at uh, or by six. Yeah, uh, I think that number seems a, a little bit big, and it's actually dipped. I think it might have opened at seven or seven and a half. Uh, Auburn's looked really good so far, albeit against weak opponents, Akron and Alabama State, but they have outscored them 122 to 10, which is impressive. This is the first big test, though, for Brian Harson at Auburn. Bo Nix has looked good so far, um, completed over 70% of his passes, which is good to see because he's a guy that's never thrown above uh, 60% in his career. Run game led by Tank Bixby, or Bigsby again uh, looks good. He's averaging over 10 yards a carry on the season. And kind of a one-two punch with uh, Jarquez Hunter, who's averaging an insane 15 yards per carry. Tank so, Bigsby. Yeah, what a name. <laughs> yeah. What a name. Uh, as far as Penn State, I, I do think Penn State's defense is really good and will obviously be Auburn's biggest test so far. But I am not sold on that offense at all. Sean Clifford is same old Sean Clifford. Can't make big plays. Sure, they beat uh, Wisconsin in week one, which is a great win, but that was – led by the defense their offense no big place to the air they can't really create explosive plays on the ground because of that i like i like penn state here or no sorry i like auburn here i like auburn to go in to happy valley and pull it off i'm not sold on either of these teams so i could see it going a number of ways uh, but i'm gonna go with uh auburn to pull up upset uh, against penn state all right, moving on. Oklahoma State playing at Boise State. Boise State favored by four and a half. Boise State bounced back from a loss at UCF. Uh, we'll see if they can win this one. Yeah, Boise with a bounce back win over UTEP last week. And it's hard to win at Boise State. Uh, they're 123 and 10 at home since 2000. Uh, Boise's defense is good. Um, they'll be without Riley Wimpy, though. In the first half, he got ejected for targeting in the second half of their game against UTEP. Offensively, I've liked what I've seen out of Hank Bachmeyer so far on the season, but he's had to kind of carry that load. Uh, they haven't had a running back step up. They don't have a running back that has over 45 yards on the season. So someone's going to need to step up uh, against the Pokes here. As far as OSU goes, this is their first ever trip to Boise. Uh, I think it's only the second ever Big 12 team to play at, at Boise. So uh, we'll be a big home field advantage for the Broncos uh, but OSU hasn't looked too hot to start the season struggled against Missouri State week one really struggled against Tulsa last week needed that punt return touchdown from L.D. Brown to escape their offensive line's horrible I mean it is really really bad Spencer Sanders is running for his life you could see it last week against Tulsa Tulsa does have a good defense but I think Boise's is just as good um, if not better and because of that, I think Boise pulls this one out. Uh, I mean, Tulsa arguably should have beaten Oklahoma State last week, and Boise's got as good of a defense. And then they've got a more competent offense uh, with a quarterback at Hank Bachmeyer, and they're at home. Um, so I like uh, Boise to pull this one out. All right, late Saturday, Saturday night matchup, top 25 matchup, uh, Arizona State at BYU. Yeah, Arizona State hasn't been tested yet this season. Uh, Jaden Daniels, obviously at quarterback, is a big time weapon. But they played Southern Utah or Southern Utah and uh, San Diego State, I think, to start the season. 
um, kind of pulled away late against San Diego State. So this is their first test, and I like them to win this one. I'm still not sold on BYU. Uh, I came away from that game against Utah with more concerns with Utah than it, than really being impressed from BYU. Um, I'm interested to see if they can pull off two straight wins over ranked Pac-12 teams. If they're going to, they're going to need Algier to have a big game. Um, he's the running back. He's uh, He was over a 1,000-yard rusher last season, uh, had a hundred over 100 yards against Utah. Uh, quarterback play is still a bit questionable for BYU, so if they can uh, control the clock and uh, keep the ball out of Jaden Daniels hands, they'll have a shot here, but I like Arizona State to pull this one off. All right, finishing up the biggest games of the week, Nebraska at Oklahoma. I know OU is favored by 22. Any chance Nebraska keeps it close? I I don't think so. I like, I like Oklahoma to win this one big. I think they had a fire lit under them after that two-lane game. That was just a pitiful performance for the Sooners. Bounced back against FCS foe last week. Western Carolina had one big. I just don't think... Well, what's weird here is I'm actually... I think the bigger mismatch is Oklahoma's defense versus Nebraska's offense yeah. than Oklahoma's offense against Nebraska defense. I think Nebraska's defense is formidable. It might be one of the better ones OU faces all year. So they might it might take a little time to get the offense going, but uh, I just think that Oklahoma's front seven is going to have a heyday against Adrian Martinez. He's going to be running for his life. They've got no other guys to take away that running load from him at running back, like Mitch talked about. Uh, they've got a couple guys at receiver that might be able to step up, um, but I just think their offense is going to have a long, long day. And even if their defense plays well, I just you can only hold that Oklahoma offense for so long. Right. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a big day for the Sooners, and I think OU, I think OU is going to win this one big. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll definitely see if the two lane two lane game was a fluke or not. Because if they keep it close, then OU's got some yeah questions. If, if they to keep answer. it close, then if Nebraska keeps this one close, uh, I'll be selling all OU stock. <laughs> yeah. All right. Some other games of the weekend, just just quick right here. You want to rattle them yeah, off? I'll just make some picks here. Uh, UCF and Louisville are playing on Friday. Uh, I like UCF here to keep it rolling. Louisville really struggles offensive or has struggled offensively. Saw it against uh, Ole Miss, who's not necessarily known for their elite defensive play. I think UCF rolls. Georgia Tech is traveling to Clemson. Clemson will win this one big. Uh, West Virginia and Virginia Tech. This game's in Morgantown. Big game. West Virginia is actually favored over ranked Virginia Tech. And I think uh, WVU pulls this one off against the Hokies. I, Virginia Tech had that big win over at North Carolina, but I'm not sold on that offense. I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams, and so I'll take uh, West Virginia to win uh, in front of that rabid fan base they've got there south carolina's traveling to georgia this one's gonna get ugly georgia's gonna win this one big south carolina i'm rooting for for shane beamer at south carolina great guy but uh this is a big time mismatch uh maybe the big uh, one maybe the biggest mismatch we'll see in the sec all season georgia will win that one big utah uh kind of a low-key uh tough bounce back game for them they play at San Diego State late night game, but I think Utah will 
will bounce back and win there. Tulane is traveling to Ole Miss, another sneaky game. Tulane obviously played OU tough. They've got an explosive offense um, and a program that's really just heading in the right direction. But I love Ole Miss. I'm all aboard uh, Matt Corral, Corral and that Ole Miss offense. And their defense seems to have taken that net, next step too. They're one of the most explosive offenses in the country. So I think they'll win. Uh, I do think Tulane has a chance to keep it closer than expected like they did against OU, but I think Ole Miss will win this one. Uh, UCLA, a sneaky matchup against Fresno, who kept it close against Oregon. Uh, UCLA is hosting here, and I think they'll they keep it rolling. Uh, might be somewhat close, but uh, I think they win. And then Kansas State, Nevada, it's in Manhattan. K-State's, I think, actually an underdog to Nevada. Uh, I don't – I'm without Skyler Howard, I'm concerned about the explosiveness of Kansas State, but I think their defense will will keep them in it. Um, Skyler Thompson. Skyler Thompson, yeah, sorry. Uh, and I think K-State wins. And then la- a couple more here. I think Minnesota pulls it off against Colorado. They showed that their run game uh, is still efficient. Uh, without Ibrahim, so I think they'll win Colorado. I'm just concerned that they don't have uh, enough explosive plays to to keep up with Minnesota. Uh, Purdue-Notre Dame, I do think Notre Dame wins this one. I think they bounce back and win big against Purdue. Um, I still like Notre Dame's offense a lot, uh, so I think they win. And then uh, Virginia, North Carolina, I like Virginia here. Their offense has looked really, really good so far this season. Uh, They've been really good through the air. North Carolina has been very underwhelming. So I'll take uh, Virginia in an upset there. All right. That is our week three preview. Really excited about those games. Moving on to fan questions. Got two this week. First up, Brock Nallen, Big 12 power rankings after week two. Yeah, this is a good question. Big 12 has been really underwhelming so far. Uh, no one's really stood out, but got to go with OU at one still, uh, which is kind of sad considering they almost lost to Tulane, but no one else has really done much to overtake them. Two, this is tough, but I'm going to go with TCU. Um, they beat uh, a decent, decent Cal team last week. Uh, Zach Evans really looked good, so... I like the playmakers they have there. Three, I'm going to stick with Iowa State, despite that loss to uh, uh, to Iowa. I think they are still one of the better teams in the conference. Um, Iowa's really good. I just like that experience they have. Um, and so I'll stick with the Cyclones there. Four... I'm going to go – I'm winging it here. I have nothing written down. Four, <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, – let's go with Kansas State for now. I do think they'll probably drop in this power ranking eventually. Um, but that win over Stanford looks much better after they turned around and beat USC. And I love Chris Kleiman. So we'll go K-State at four. At five, uh, let's, so, let's say uh, – hmm. let's go with – Oklahoma State at five. They have been less than impressive uh, thus far this year, uh, but they haven't lost, and they've got a good defense. 
Offense needs to turn it around. Six, we'll go with Texas. Wow, that's six. Yeah, I, I think they're better than the sixth best team in the Big 12, to be completely honest with yeah. you. But for now, I mean, you can't. They got run off the field by the Hogs. So we'll go Longhorns at six. Uh, seven. I'm just trying to think who's left. So I got, <laughs> so I got Baylor, Tech, ba- yeah. Kansas. Baylor, who's left? Baylor, Tech, Kansas. And uh, who? Uh, I'm missing someone. I was actually doing this today and I couldn't. Oh, West Virginia. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Seven. Okay, sorry. Seven, we'll go with Baylor. They've been solid so far. Their competition's been weak. Um, but I love uh, I love Dave Aranda. So we'll go with the, the Bears there. Uh, struggled a bit against Texas State week one, but bounced back last week. Uh, eight, let's go with uh, Texas Tech. They uh, mainly because that went over... Uh, over Houston in week one, they looked good there. They struggled against Stephen F. Austin last week, um, but that win over a solid Houston team in week one will be enough to keep them there at eight. Last two teams, I mean, you know who 10 is, so obviously nine's West Virginia. <laughs> Maybe I'm underrating them a little bit here, but I didn't like what they did. Uh, uh, who did they lose to in week one? Let me find that out for you. And while you're searching that, 10, Kansas. I actually do think Kansas is improved um this season they gave coastal a good run for their money maryland maryland oh yeah yeah uh man i feel bad i don't think west virginia's nine but their power rankings they've already lost so we'll stick with nine for now yep. for wvu then yeah 10 kansas i'm i love lance leopold i like the direction of their program and they got a chance to uh keep it close against baylor this weekend it would be a good test for the jayhawks sorry for the kind of all over the place there i should have should have immediate power rankings yep. reaction is a little tough yeah that was fun though <laughs> all right moving on to the next question uh from jojo sabin shout out jojo what does ohio state's future hold after the loss to oregon i mean i think every everything they want is still in front of them if they run the table in the big 10 like they very well could they probably are a playoff team but i just don't know if they are going to be able to do that they've they got serious concerns defensively. They got all the weapons they need offensively. CJ Stroud has been good but inconsistent at times. But I'm I do still assume he'll get he'll get that or he'll start really clicking with all of his guys. I think their offense is going to be one of the best in the country, which should be enough to win most Big Ten games. Um, and if their defense can just improve a little bit, I still like them in the Big Ten. But for the time being, I'm very, very concerned for that defense. But as far as the future holds, I still believe everything is in front of them. All right, finishing up with trivia. Parker coming off a hot performance last week, 5 for 5. We'll see how he does. Question 1, who is the most recent Heisman winner from the Big Ten? 30 seconds. Most recent Heisman winner from the Big Ten. One guy I just thought of, but there has to be someone more recent than him. 15 seconds. Hmm. Troy Smith. Late pull there. I That's who I had written down the whole time. I just was trying to, I thought there was probably someone more recently, but I guess not. 
All right, question two. Who was Michigan's starting quarterback when they were upset by App State in 2007? 30 seconds. Chad Henney. Two for two. All right. Question three. In 2003, two running backs tied for most rushing touchdowns in the nation. One was Cedric Benson. The other played in the ACC. Name him. This one's a little tough. Most touchdowns in the country. Yeah. Played in the ACC. 2003, ACC running back. Ooh. Is he a name I would know? No. <laughs> I, I just kind of threw it out there. Kevin Jones, Virginia Tech. You're a scumbag. <laughs> All right. Hey, couldn't go 10 for 10 in two yeah, weeks. That made sure. me look bad. All right, question four. In the last 10 years, the Heisman winner has also won AP Player of the Year, except in 2015. Who won AP Player of the Year in 2015? 30 seconds. 2015. So who won? I'm trying to think who won the Heisman first. It had to have been a, like a defensive guy. Ugh. 10 seconds. AP player of the year. AP player of the year. Uh, I'm just going to say, I know this is wrong. I'm going to say Joey Bosa. Christian McCaffrey. Question five. What coach is currently listed at 11 for all-time wins and only coached at one ACC school? Only coached at one ACC school. 11th in all-time wins. Frank Howard. Got the first name right. Frank Beamer. Ah. All right. Three for five, right? Or, was or two, it for, two five? for five? I can't remember. It's tough. All right, yeah. Parker. Good questions. Close this Those out. Fair. Good, good, fair questions. Yeah, that was uh, uh, another fun episode. Thanks, Mitch Sherman, for uh, joining us. Really good insight there into that Oklahoma-Nebraska game from uh, the Nebraska uh, point of view. If you guys aren't following us on social media, give us a follow on Twitter at Fifth Year Podcast and on Instagram at The Fifth Year Podcast. We try to uh, post some content on there. So hit us up there. And uh, yeah, let's uh, have a good week three. Crazy that we're already in week three. Another solid slate of match matchups this week. So it should be a lot of fun. Oh